Hello, ho, ho, and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people, and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in the village of Grasmere on the village green, giving you a warm welcome to our annual Christmas special, our Cumbrian Christmas cracker, and I'm in the company of author, illustrator, and our resident Father Christmas. Oh, yes, indeed. Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. (laughs) Yes, I've mastered the ho-ho to a fine art. It's the time of year when I get cornered by our local village to um, perform the arts of being uh, a hearty man wearing a red suit with a great beard. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes, we do have this conversation every year at about this time, Mark, but for any new listeners... Mark is the resident Father Christmas in the north of the county. We won't say which village because somebody might hear. Yes, if you see these people in Santa's grottos that you pay a large amount of money to go and see, Mark, you're, you're one of those. Yeah, but they, you don't have to pay for this one. Mm. And I get mince pies. That's my income. That's my wage. How, how do I sign up? <laughs> yes. Now, we're here today, Mark. We are in Grasmere, as I say. We're looking out over the tops... Little dusting of snow, particularly on the Helvellyn Range where I was walking yesterday, about an inch deep up there. Uh, not as much on Fairfield, but uh, nice to see that. We've got the hollyberries out, the hollin in Cumbrian dialect. And we are here today for this annual Christmas get-together. It's our fourth Christmas special, actually, Mark, which is making me feel a little bit old. <laughs> um, and we're back in Grasmere for the second time. First time around, we went to Dove Cottage and sat by the fire. But we're doing something lovely today. We're with one of our old country stride friends. A convivial friend of ours, Alan Cleaver, who's always full of a potpourri of interest. Alan has a number of great passions, doesn't he? He's fascinated by ghosts. He loves his lonnings and his corpse roads, postman's paths. He loves these kind of little byways that time has left behind. But he's also a great collector and compiler of memories of folk traditions and he loves Christmas. Having had a career as a journalist, he loves people's stories. Yeah. And this is what brings this season of the year to life and he does it superbly. We don't really try and do the big sell very much on Country Stride Mark, but there is a connection on this podcast with a book that I've just published which is called A Lake District Christmas. And it is by Alan Cleaver, so that's the kind of link with today. It's a compilation, really, of Christmassy, nostalgic articles from the past, bits of writing, recipes, songs, uh, a few ghost stories, as you would expect. And we're here in, in Grasmere because one of the interesting things about Grasmere is it kept cropping up time and time again as a village in this compilation of writings. It's got its own carol. It's got some wonderful poetry written about it. It's got some great documentation, of course, by the Wordsworths uh, about, you know, skating on rider water, stuff like this. Uh, And it's also got a Christmas tragedy associated with it. So it's a real Christmassy village, is Grasmere. So what we're doing then today, Mark, we're going to go for a gentle wander, aren't we? And stop off en route. Uh, And we've also done something rather lovely as well. We've collared a few local friends... To, uh, to read some excerpts from the book. Yeah, oh yes, uh, Elaine and Paul Nelson from the famous Sam Reed bookshop. Yeah, lovely to 
grab a few other people uh, for the podcast. I can see Alan just over there now, so um, let's go and see him and let's make the first steps on our Christmas country stride. We've arrived at the midst of Grasmere at Moss Parrock, beside Sam Reed's bookshop and opposite Heaton Cooper's Gallery, in the midst of what is the most gorgeous village. I'm in the company of Alan Cleaver, a faithful follower and friend of Countryside. Hello, Alan. Good to see you again, Mark and Dave. So where are we going today? Well, we're going to uh, have a wander around Grasmere and we're going to look at some of the Christmas traditions and legends and stories uh, connected with this part of Cumbria. And in particular, the um, what's known locally as the uh, the Greens tragedy, and this dates back to 1808, uh, when two people died on the fells, and the Wordsworths were involved in this tragedy. But we'll learn more about that later. We're going to start by heading off towards Hunting Style, which is a lonning which takes you up over towards Chapel Style, up over onto the fell. And we'll then sort of cut back along the path that the Greens were trying to take to reach their cottage, which is at Blentown Gill, uh, down into Easdale. And we'll come back in, go close to Allen Bank, the old uh, Rawnsley home uh, and Wordsworth home for a little while, which is now being opened up by uh, the National Trust. So um, we'll end up back here in Grasmere afterwards. A very rounded expedition and uh, in this setting you can't fail to enjoy the day. We've come off the Red Bank Road at Hunting Style Lodge where there was a Victoria Regina letterbox, very distinctive, uh, and come over Tarmac Road, which has now become cobbled, which is absolutely delightful, Alan. Uh, Moss-covered walls either side. It's a magical this, little place. This is Hunting Style Lonning proper. This is my spiritual home. <laughs> this is where I come to recharge the batteries oh. and sit here in quiet, just the beck bubbling away in the background, the red Gorgeous. squirrels, and even an otter we saw here no. once. Yes, yeah, amazing sight. Lots of robins, of course, and right. bird life. Um, well, you look at hunting style at the start by that Victorian post box, and you think it's a tarmac track, probably just goes to a house. But walk up it, and when it veers off to the sort of hunting style lodge, uh, it then becomes the lonning proper. So we've got this very old, cobbled, very well made path mm -hmm. what are we about six eight feet wide yep and on either side dry stone walling absolutely covered in moss and lichen and that must be 300 years old isn't it mm. you know um so this was a major thoroughfare uh not least because this was the corpse road from chapel style to st oswald's church at grasmere 
So they would come over, uh, over the fell, and then drop down hunting style. You'd think go straight to St Oswald's Church, but Mary Armit um, suggested that they actually turned off right and went down the other side of the lake to meet up with the Rydal Corpse Road and come into the village. In concert? So, well, it was to pick up, I suppose, the other parishes and the other villages uh, so they could join the procession. It's probably as much speculation as anything. But more importantly, it's a lonning. And oh, I love my is, lonnings. You're a, a lonning man <laughs> through and through. Uh, the name Chapel Star suggested that there was a church there, but perhaps not. There was a church, but it didn't have burial rites. That's so a key they, thing. they had to come here. In fact, it was one of the last, probably, in Cumbria to petition for its own graveyard. So it didn't get its own graveyard till about 1824, I think it was, which is very late in Corts Road terms. Um, and in fact, rather nicely, if you go into chapel style, the church there set into the side of the, the hill, of course, they've got the funeral beer which they carried the bodies on. If you imagine, in a sense, a stretcher or, or ladder which people carried on their shoulders and the body was tied to this so that they could bring it over the fell. And in 1924, when they got their own graveyard, they just put this in the crypt and it's still there. And the vicar will show it to you. And it's a lovely bit of history, you know. They, they love their beer there over that <laughs> side, absolutely. Style, of course. Uh, you've got chapel style and hunting style. And um, what's the origin of style? You're a man of words. What's the, well, uh, I understand it like high style, the fell, the buttermere, and you've got sty head. So it's to do with a steep ladder, a stiff ascent, basically. Yeah, yeah. I know that um, stee, I think, was an old dialect word for a ladder, uh, but basically any steep climb. And I know Egremont has got a footpath called Tommy Style. Style wasn't his surname. Tommy was the chap who probably lived at the foot of the path, but Style because it's a steep upward climb on the footpath. I know it? when we were in that Damson country, oh, th yes. they referred to the ladder, the triangular ladder that went up into the trees to pick the uh, damsons they call that a sty ah right or a yes. stee stee or sty yes i know but what i like about this lonning of course is that it's the setting for a christmas ballad uh down lonning which yeah. you'll hear read most years at the christmas readings that grasmere players perform i mean they just sort of go into the grasmere hall they sit round and they read extracts from Dickens and sing Christmas carols. It's a really lovely evening. They have read this out every, almost every year, this ballad. Nobody knows the origin of it. Uh, Joyce Withers, uh, great Grasmere legend, used to read it out until her death in 2000. But um, nobody knows who actually composed it. But what's nice about it is, is that it, it sets the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, but on this occasion, it's Mary and Joseph and Braithwaite uh, and their little bairn, their little baby, coming up hunting-style lonning on the back of a pony. And uh, so it's that sort of suggestion that, you know, is it Mary and Joseph and Braithwaite or is it another Mary and Joseph? So it's a lovely sort of concept, but it names a lot of local places like Silverhow and hunting-style. So it roots it. In, in the landscape, which is nice. I always think of Christmas when, when we walk up here and Braithwaite's Mary and Joe. Well, it's lovely to be here with Elaine Nelson. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Elaine? 
Uh, my name's Elaine Nelson and I've been living in Grasmere since 1983, so nearly a local, and mm -hmm. um, I have the bookshop Sam Reads. A marvellous emporium of knowledge. I believe it's the only shop that's always been a bookshop. Yes, the only shop that's been a shop, the same shop, for yes. 130 years or whatever it is. Now you're going to give us a rendition of Down Lonin. Down Lonin they came, just braith that's Mary with Joe, that she wed Lammas year, and their lal lad in her arm. Moon was low and clear above Silver Howe, and mists writhing up from lake, and light sharp and silver, as tis of a winter dusk, with the night beginning to break on the darkening dale. There were no mysteries around Mary and Joe. They smiled at us going by. Grand evening, Joe called out, and Posty said, Aye. And our Libby, she ran to set them a bit on road, as Mary turned and showed Ben sleeping, soft and warm. Up hunting style they went, and the young moon dropped over Silver Howe, and the night shut down, and now we saw them no more. Their footsteps, after a while, died into mists and darkness. Up Lonin they came, late in the evening. We never heard them come, though night was still as a sheltered tarn is. Only a whisper from the lal beck near at hand, splashing down in spate. Quiet they came, and late, and none said out as they passed us. Just so, a young lass, walking wearily, and a man, like Joe, or not so like, maybe, and the two of them bent over a bairn asleep. And as they went through the dark trees and lake mists, there was light. Up Lonin they came, just Braithet's lass, we a man on a winter's night. Just Braithet's Mary, who else in the Christmas night? This is lovely. We've come to the top of hunting style Lonin. We've had a lovely old, probably Victorian metal bench, which is ideally set to give us a view. We've got red bank woods to our right. And uh, we're looking down onto the Vale, uh, the tops of like Seat Sandal and Great Rig and um, Heron Pike. It's got a hint of snow on them, but a little capping of cloud, but fundamentally you've got a view there down on the lake and on the community of Grasmere. Now Grasmere is rather special because it's got a Christmas carol all of its own. It has. I know, as if Grasmere hasn't got it all already. Quite. I mean, it looks the perfect Christmas village at the moment, doesn't it? But um, yes, the Grasmere carol was written in 1924 by a composer, well-known composer in his day, Arthur Somerville. He was commissioned to write this as a thank you to the Grasmere players. And the Grasmere players were at that time uh, regularly performing dialect plays. And these plays are all but forgotten now, which is a pity, but they were very famous in the 1920s because it was a, a time when dialect was suddenly being appreciated and people realised they might lose something. So the Grasmere players used to perform these up at Allen Bank, which would be over to our left from here. And um, Hardwick Rawnsley lived there, one of the other great worthies of Grasmere, founder of the National Trust. So Somerville was a regular visitor there, and he wrote the Grasmere Carol as a thank you uh, to them. Um, 
It's nice. It's sung occasionally in Grasmere still. It's not uh, as sweet and as Christmassy as um, perhaps Down Lonning is. Uh, but it, it's nice, and it's nice to have your own carol, isn't it? Absolutely. Know? Do uh, the school children sing it, or is it not really their level? Um, it's uh, not really their level. Imagine a Victorian sort of um, Mendelssohn-type hymn. There's no mention of robins or Christmas or snow or mistletoe. <laughs> tell you when they do perform it as well is when they close Dove Cottage once a year for a day when um, the Wordsworth arrived there uh, and they close it to the public but it's open to the villagers as a thank you to them. They have a log fire burning, mulled wine, mince pies and they usually have local ladies singing uh, the Grasmere Carol. It's a sort um, of a, like a revivalist day. Yes, I suppose. If you can't sneak in, if you get spotted that you're not a true local and kicked out, you will find a version on YouTube. So well, you can make do with that. <laughs> I'd love to actually hear some element of that carol if I could. It's rather intriguing. Um, well, I'll, I'll read a couple of verses. I'm not going to sing them. Ah. <laughs> So this is the Grasmere Carol, the first uh, couple of verses and chorus. When Mary on that Christmas day had laid her baby in the hay, within her heart then rang this lay, Noel, Noel, Noel. The oxen, with no gift to bring, stood large and silent in a ring, and wondered at the tiny thing, Noel, Noel, Noel. Well, it's definitely a Noel <laughs> feel to it. <laughs> I think he was a better composer than lyricist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've arrived at this lovely shallow pass at the top of Hunting Star Lonin. It's open country with the bracken died away now. It's just a dun-coloured mass. And I'm looking up to my right, that's to the west. There's a bank of crags, low boulders and crags, a tangle of hollin, that is holly. It's gorgeous and, uh, I mean, I'm just struck by the silence and we're fortunate in a way that there's no other walkers around here at the moment. I mean, I always say to people, you know, oh, I'm going to, they say I'm going to do the Rydal to Grasmere Corpse Road and I'd say, no, don't do chapel style to Grasmere because this is far less walked and you do meet people in the summer, of course, along here, um, but it, it's a much quieter, much softer landscape and uh, just a joy to be in. It's absolutely a magical spot. And for those who love to ramble more thoroughly, what you've actually got here is a spine of ridge, uh, which one can follow north-south through the Lake District. You know, the triple five bus follows the A591. That is in the valley below us. But this spinal ridge, which comes over Luffrig onto Silver Howe, continues over the horizon to High Rays, Ulscarf, and ultimately towards Bleabury Fell and runs down towards Waller Crag. So that's one spine. And then you can also go from Rydal up the ridge, up onto Fairfield, and then onto the Helvellyn Range and follow that all the way up to Cloughhead and down. 
great fell walking days. Let's turn just momentarily back to Christmas and I gather you've been collecting uh, some boisterous tales of yore. Christmas is a time of excess and for the Lake District Christmas book we included some of those excesses uh, where the police or the local authority has had to clamp down. Sometimes it seems a bit um, too stringent. Workington 1840, the council uh, issued a ban on throwing snowballs. Oh, uh, on playing football anything that made any noise they wanted stopped and unbelievably the very nice quaint tradition of carrying burning tar barrels down the high street how innocent is that it's health and safety gone mad i I, tell you i can't hold a candle to that (laughs) the tradition up until 1840 in workington was that on christmas eve the young men of the town would carry literally burning tar barrels on their backs down the high street I don't know why, but I do know that there are some places in Britain that still do it. Allendale on New Year's Eve uh, has this tradition, and there's a place in Devon, I think, that uh, does it on bonfire night. But Workington had had enough, and they issued a ban in 1840. I can't say it's a tradition I want to see revived, but uh, that's one in the book. It's not uh, a barrel of laughs. A barrel anyway. of laughs. <laughs> uh, another one that we've included is um, a very old Cumbrian tradition called Barring Out. And this was basically in the days before schools had a proper Christmas holiday. And it became the tradition that on a, on a day running up to Christmas, the school children would barricade themselves in the school, not out of it, which would have seemed more sensible, but in the school, and wouldn't let the teacher in, wouldn't ah. let the head teacher in. And then they would negotiate with the head teacher. He'd pretend to sort of say, oh, let me in, you naughty rascals. And they'd say, well, we'll let you in if you give us a holiday for Christmas. <laughs> so he'd say, well, I'll let you have a, a, the afternoon off. And they'd say, no, no, we want more. So this bargaining would go on and they'd get their two days off or whatever it was for Christmas. <laughs> um, but in the mid-19th century, this really got out of hand and the barring out became quite fierce and I think there is an account of a child being killed in Cockermouth in some of the tumult that took place Um, but the best example was Carlisle Grammar School which eventually issued an edict saying we're going to end this barring out tradition and we want you to stop bringing pistols and swords to school (laughs) (laughs) and instead we're just going to invite the great and the good of the town and we'll sing a few carols (laughs) so it's quite a turnaround but this order still exists you can still find in the archives this ruling in the Carlisle Grammar School uh, that you will be banned from bringing pistols and swords today of course we have uh, you know Black Eye Friday I I don't think it's strictly Cumbrian but um, it gets called different things in different parts of the country but Black Eye Friday is when people get their Christmas pay packet, so two weeks' money. They go off to the pubs and the nightclubs and have a jolly old time. No tar barrels involved or pistols or swords, <laughs> yeah, well, but they, they can get a bit out of hand. Bottergate in uh, Carlisle, they close the road. Yes, yes. Well, I live in the town centre in Whitehaven and uh, the sights I see... And none of them wear jackets, and I, I shout out my window, put your jacket on, it's freezing, you'll catch your death. <laughs> they pay no attention. <laughs> anyway, we'd better head on, the daylight's going. Oh yeah, we've got to get on. <laughs> Do 
Well, we're coming over Down Bank, heading towards Silver Howe. Uh, I'm looking north towards Steelfell and, of course, Helm Crag, and down in the Vale, Grasmere and Grasmere Village. And beyond, Seat Sandal, with the Helvellyn range itself mantled in cloud. But you can see Great Rig Man above Arthur's Stone, with um, Fairfield Captain Cloud, and then coming round by Heron Pike and uh, Nabscar and just see Ill Bell and round by Wonsfell Pike and Luffrig Fell with its ordnance column and then we can look down Windermere and see Clare Heights, Gummers Howe, Black Crag, all round by Guysdale Forest and the sweet round towards Wetherlam with Seal Edge and Wetherlam Edge all wreathed in clouds of the summit. Come round to Lingmore Fell overtopped by Piker Blisco, then Crinkle Crags, Three Tarns, and then Bowfell, the summit just capped in cloud. You can see Bowfell buttress very clearly. And then, of course, the amazing sight of the Langdale Pikes, Loft Crag, Piker Stickle, Harrison Stickle, and Baby Ark. Now, I'll quickly skip back because Clare Heights, which I mentioned halfway round, has got, a, is it a ghost story? The Crier of Claife is the name of the ghost and uh, the Crier of Claife is actually the place uh, marked on the Ordnance Survey maps on the western bank of Windermere. He's a ghost that's heard rather than seen and gives out this cry and the story goes that uh, one of the ferrymen of old heard a cry out from the bank saying the people of Coniston and that would say, you know, come when I need a boat to, to get me to Bowness. So he'd row over. Um, and this time he came back and he was a gibbering wreck. The other ferryman believed he'd seen or heard the crier of Claife. The ghost was eventually laid by the monks of Furness Abbey on Christmas Day. Gave us a good excuse to use it in the Christmas tales. Absolutely. Uh, so it's got this Christmas connection. But the important thing, Mark, to remember is uh, when you next asked at the pub quiz, which is the only ghost recorded on Ordnance Survey maps. It's the Crier of Claife. There because it's the name of the bit of land on which the ghost was heard. Uh, Christmas is a time for ghost stories, though. Uh, Christmas Eve is when the BBC likes to scare us with their ghost stories. And Scrooge, of course, wrote Christmas Carol based on Christmas Eve. Uh, it's a time, I think, in Celtic lore, you know, where the spirit world moves closest to our world, you know, with the longer nights and uh, shorter days. And Keswick, if we followed this line of hills onto towards Keswick, we end up St John in the Vale, and Keswick's got its own Christmas Eve boggle. The stories of a man who's riding his horse to Cockermouth, and this ghostly apparition of this large horse is is seen alongside him, and he can't shake it off. And no matter how fast he rides, eventually reaching Cockermouth, it, it disappears, and he's in terror of this for about three weeks, and telling people, "I was." chased by this horse this ghostly horse and then on christmas eve he arrives late home and he doesn't want to disturb the family so he settles down in the stable next to his own horse and manger and uh, in the morning he's found and the horse has lain down and crushed him to death so it's suspected that this ghost that he saw was actually a, a premonition of his own death three weeks later
We've enjoyed a, a lovely traverse of Silverhow, come down by Blind Tarn and come by into Easdale and we passed Blind Tarn Cottage, which has significance in a very poignant story, Alan. And it's one that actually at its time uh, hit the headlines. So uh, it begins in March 1808 when George and Sarah Green go over from Blindtown Cottage where they're living over to Langdale and the purpose was to one of their children had uh, been employed as a maid in a house there so they were sorting out business and they also went to a sale just for the company. They were very poor so they didn't have much money and they set off early afternoon to come back to their house coming over the fell that you know we've walked across and a snowstorm gets up and unfortunately they're lost in this and both of them die but the real poignancy of all of this is because six of their children are at home at the cottage and the oldest is only 11 years old and they're waiting for mum and dad to come home and of course they don't turn up and that is on the happened on a Saturday and then on the Sunday they're still snowed in and on the Monday they're still snowed in. So the 11 year old is the one who's looking after the rest of the children. She's now the mother, the carer. The papers and future reports make great play of the fact of how she looked after them, she cleaned them, she fed them, she made them pray and reassured them that everything would be all right. Incredible bravery for 11 year old. But on Monday afternoon, one of the boys manages to get through the snow to the neighboring cottage. And actually what he did, was just ask for uh, an extra blanket uh, to keep the children warm because mum and dad hadn't yet come home from Langdale. Well, fortunately, the neighbour realised that something dreadful had happened. So the cry goes out and they begin to search the fells. It's another two days before they find the bodies. By that time, the whole community has worked together to look after the children and all of this. And one of the children was employed as a maid by the Wordsworth. Uh, so that's where the Wordsworths got Fit involved. Into and the Wordsworths start up this subscription to help the family. And as I say, it does gain a sort of national notoriety, really. People like Quincy were, De Quincy were involved in getting it promoted in this way. So they get this fund together and the children are essentially adopted by other people in the village and, and looked after. But the story carried on for a long, long time because it was picked up later on. De Quincey wrote a sort of almost a children's version of it for a popular magazine about 20 or 30 years later. The Children on the Fell, the Greens and the, the tragedy was one that appealed to the Victorian ethics of what was good and how you should behave in a time of crisis. Absolutely. <laughs> people's hearts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, raised a lot of money for the children and looked after them. So the children, how did they get rehomed? Well, the tradition in those days was to auction off the children, in effect, uh, to find them new homes. And they were, they were well looked after. All this money was raised to look after them. People would foster them and would want money from the parish to look after them and, until they were of age. So they were auctioned off to the lowest bidder, um, which had the effect of saving the parish money. But it also, I think, ensured the right motives 
of the people who were asking to look after the children. They were all found new homes and uh, their descendants uh, live on today and, and meet up regularly and have reunions and uh, the story is well remembered. So um, it's a tragic story but there's good elements to it in the way that this 11-year-old looked after her siblings during this very dark time very resourceful and it carries on as a sense of community. There's no memorial that I know of to them in the church or in the churchyard. They did look at putting a gravestone up but they thought it better to use the money for the children. So uh, as yet there's no gravestone to them. Well, we're coming towards the end of our podcast. We'll go into the grounds of Allen Bank and sort of conclude the whole uh, story of Christmas. Well, it's a lovely wander down Easdale, and we've come into the grounds of Allen Bank with its Rochemontone rocks. And as I look behind me, back to the north, Helm Crag has got some clear sky at long last. So you've got the distinctive profile there of the lion and the lamb. Of course, Allen Bank is associated with William Wordsworth and Canon Hardwick Ronsley, who lived here, Allen. Ronsley was a great campaigner for everything to do with the Lake District and fought hard for the way of life and the tradition and the landscape. He was at Keswick for much of his life um, but retired here to Allen Bank. He set about, I suppose, recording, writing about in verse and in prose all that he could about the lovely Lake District. Now you have two specific articles that are pertinent to this spot. Yes, well, Rawnsley wrote so much. We had to include something of his. He was a beautiful writer. Might have aged a bit, might be a bit gushing sort of purple prose at times. But we included one about him skating on Derwent water in 1913 when it obviously froze over. I'll just read a little bit just to show the beauty of his writing. Canon Hardwick Rawnsley gets up very early in the morning to make sure he's out on the ice early. And he starts... At 5.30 I was astir. Great silver clouds built up the heights of nobler mountains in the south, but westward the moon shone in a cloudless sky. Leaving the quiet house and passing through the sleeping hamlet and through the little town, which, but for light in three windows and in the pencil factory, was still asleep, I made my way to the lake, and as the clock struck six, the only living thing in that strange landscape, I shod myself with steel and struck out from the land. And you have this wonderful vision of this vicar pushing off from the banks of Derwent Water and going skating on his own at half five in the morning. What great fun. The other piece we include is uh, he must have been involved in the sort of pensioners' Christmas do, but I think he realised that uh, here was another part of Cumbria Lake District's heritage, the Christmas do at Keswick for the older people. And um, so he went along and uh, he provides a very detailed account of that wonderful festive occasion. And uh, Paul is going to read that to us. And so we've also got Paul Nelson. Could you give us a little clue as to your background, Paul? Yes, uh, I was born in the village 67 years ago. My dad 
was a Cumbrian farmer from Long Sleddle, and my mum was from Ambleside. And you're going to read us an excerpt from Ronsey. Yes. This is the Old Folks Christmas Do at Keswick. I had an invitation to be present, and as I wished to see an old-fashioned Cumberland do, I made my way thither towards three o'clock in the afternoon. Busload after busload came rumbling up, bringing out of the countryside the guests from distant Hamilton Farm. Not less than 400 invitations had been sent out, and no less than 180 old folk had responded. On arriving at the entrance to the hall, I found the local band making brave music. Passing up the steps by kitchens whose steamy fragrance filled the air, I was ushered into a large room decked with Christmas evergreen. Five tables reached from end to end, daintily decorated with ferns and flowers. The Vicar of Crosthwaite, the County Council of Keswick, the local lawyer, bank managers and leading hotel keepers were seated in the place of honour as carvers and, after a whistle was sounded by the master of ceremonies, all rose to their feet. Grace was said, and the chairman, begging no one to hurry, impressed upon the company that the oldest and youngest were to take time today. Then soup was served. At another whistle, soup was removed and the meats were borne into the room. Beef, turkey, mutton and goose were all there, piping hot. Potatoes, peas, pudding, turnips and other vegetables steamed on the tables. The chairman called for order and announced, as if it were a matter of most importance, that giblet pies, innumerable, were downstairs. And anybody who wanted giblet pie had simply to say the word. There was plenty to eat and drink. For those who cared for it, there was beer. But a very large proportion seemed to prefer lemonade, which was in siphons all down the table. There was not much talking. Three o'clock was late dinner hour for many of the old folks, and they were hungry. But as hunger passed away, the talk grew, and very pleasant it was to see the folk who had not met for a whole year cracking with one another, and to hear the little bits of family gossip, to ask how so-and-so has fared and what so-and-so is doing now. Of course, there was an element of sadness in the room. The 180 people past 60 years meant 180 hearts that had seen so much sorrow. Nevertheless, they appeared determined for the moment to forget the past and to think happily of the future. After hearing Rawlsey talk about all this food, I believe, Paul, you've got a, an old family recipe of your own to relate. Yeah, my Auntie Claire, who uh, was a farmer, and she lived up Kentmere nearly all her life until she was 91, and she died a couple of years ago. I used to uh, visit her every Christmas with a box of biscuits to continue my dad's tradition of delivering boxes of biscuits to his relations. And I went into a cottage... Uh, one Christmas, and the old Rayburn, coal-fired, was bubbling away with this pan on, and I said, What's, what have you got cooking, Auntie Claire? And she said, it's sweet pie. And I said, what's in it? She said, mutton, and a variety of dried fruits, which she cooked for 24 hours very slowly, and then let it set until it went cold. The meat had been cooked to disintegration, I suppose, until you couldn't actually taste the meat at all, and it just tasted very sweet. I think it's probably a precursor of mincemeat. Well, after listening to you, Paul, I feel bloated just thinking about all that food. And your grandma. Well, that sounds very sweet and tasty. Anyway, it's been brilliant to have your company, Alan. We've had a wonderful time. As always, Country Stride relishes your 
chirpy uh, <laughs> insights. Festive to, cheer. A festive cheer. Uh, well, I wish you a very happy Christmas. The same to you and to Dave. And um, I shall go home and have some mince pies, mulled wine, a sweet pie and uh, all the other delights for Christmas. Journey's end, we're back in Grasmere at the Village Green. Uh, lovely to get out and about, Mark. Fading light now, still quite overcast and definitely getting chilly. Oh, gosh, me. It was getting chilly and dark as we came down Blitton uh, Cottage, but uh, it's more seriously dark now. Lovely collection of different Christmassy elements there. Bit of ghost, bit of ice skating, bit of quite a lot of food. Oh, gosh. Typically of Alan, he's just so full of diversity. He's a, he gathers uh, a great mix of social interaction and enthusiasm. He's just the perfect guest to reflect Christmas. A kind of magpie of old anecdotes, uh, of old customs, and lovely to reflect on some of them during the podcast. Uh, any favourite stories from you there, Mark? Any favourite little... Excerpts. The bit I liked most of all, which is something that Paul mentioned, was that pie that his grandmother made. I thought that was so outrageous. And the story of the Greens, I thought, was very poignant. The fact that the Greens still gather... That's lovely, isn't uh, it? I think that's a lovely touch. Continuity, a bit of Christmas continuity. Right, Okay. we are um, coming to the end now. And just a final reminder that um, today we've just had a few excerpts from that book a lake district christmas by alan cleaver uh, for many many more you can grab uh, a copy at inspiredbylakeland.co.uk so that's where you can um, buy your copy and i think there'll probably still be time to post it out listeners will remember that we opened a patreon page mark so if you like what we do here you can now gift some money we only ask for two pounds a month to keep us uh, on the straight and narrow and we've had quite a few people who've done this so we'd just like to say thank you to helen taylor david wood peter valley rosemary tyler fritz grutaus austin baird and roy pollard thank you all so much uh, for supporting us and as i say if you want to do so you can just go to the website www.countrystride.co.uk Uh, where you can gift um, as much or as little as you like. Uh, We're on social media, Mark. Oh, yes, at Countryside One on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, feel free to uh, give us a follow there if you haven't already. We are on episode number 72, I think. Is that right? You're one ahead of us. 71, this is. This is 71, right. Well, for 70 previous podcasts, you can go to www.countrystride.co.uk and including, if you're in a seasonal mood, there are three previous Christmas podcasts, including one with Alan where we walked from St Beeshead to Whitehaven, which was a lovely wonder. Anyway, I think that's it from us today in Fading Light here in Grasmere. We'll sign off with Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas indeed for you all and... I look forward to your company again when we do the roundup of the year.